Hi everyone. Before the episode proper begins today, I do want to take the opportunity to thank all of you who have been in touch about the Will Parker episode, which clearly resonated for a lot of you. I'd also like to welcome my latest Patreon supporters, Alicia and Cheryl. I do believe I'm going to be reconfiguring my Patreon settings in the next few months, probably around the time the new season rolls around. But for the time being, the structure remains as it has been for the past three years. Anyone who contributes either $2 a month or $25 a year has access to all of the bonus material that I have thus far presented on my Patreon page. If you too would like to become one of those supporters, please go to patreon.com slash countermelody and you can gain access to all of the, oh heavens, I don't even know how many anymore, at least 65 or 66 bonus episodes that I have already posted. Lately, I have been posting one episode a week, and this week will be no exception because there will be a special tribute up there to the French soprano Rachel Yacar, a singer I've always admired who died this past week. There have been other recent deaths in the musical world, including Sheldon Harnick and Gabriele Schnaut, but Yacar is a singer who was particularly dear to my heart. I always loved her work in Baroque opera and beyond. She was also a magnificent recitalist and moved into some different repertoire as well, but I particularly remember her singing Rameau, Lully, Monteverdi, these things. On the bonus episode, I will be offering excerpts from her two recordings of French Melodie, accompanied by the pianist Claude Lavoie, that were done in the late 1980s. And here, just as a little teaser, and as a tribute to a wonderful singer, is their performance of Renaldo Anne's gorgeous Le Rossignol des Lilas. Oh. 
Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. Each week, you will encounter me, Daniel Gundlach, as your host, guiding you along a magical route that will bring us closer to the voices of those singers that most enchant and transform us, no matter what else is going on in the world. Thank you for joining me on that path. And now, this week's episode. All right, pals, I've got a big episode today. It features two path-breaking queer musicians whose importance is only beginning to be recognized today, but without whom we would not have the wide range of what the Germans call Vielfalt, diversity, on the musical scene today. Let's begin with the phenomenal Jackie Shane, born in Nashville on May 15, 1940, and died there at the age of 78 in 2019. This is her sole extant television appearance, doing a song for which she became very well-known, Walking the Dog. This was recorded in October 1964 for the local Nashville program Night Train, one of the first programs of its kind to feature all-black artists. Jackie Shane's comes right at you with Rufus Thomas's Walking the Dog. at the end of the episode because I find even with all of its ins and outs, ups and downs, that her life was a little bit more affirming than the other artists that we're going to explore today. Joe Bryath. There's so much to say about him, and I will try to say a few things. Let us begin with his only solo live television appearance on the Midnight Special on the 8th of March 1974, where he is introduced by Gladys Knight, who sadly does not know how to pronounce his name. He's singing his song, I'm a Man, which had been featured on his self-titled 1973 debut album. So what you're about to see and hear is an unusual and exciting theatrical event. The act of tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, Joe Brad.
say that Joe Bryath qualifies as a mad genius. He was born Bruce Wayne Campbell on December 14, 1946, and was raised in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. He died on or around the 3rd of August, 1983, at the age of 36, an early casualty of AIDS. He was the first out pop star, or at least would-be pop star the brainchild of a promoter and, shall we call him, a ruthless charlatan, possibly, or at the very least, a Svengali, named Jerry Brandt. You know, David has been listening to a lot of the mad classical music genius from that period, Julius Eastman, and we were discussing him the other day vis-a-vis Joe Bryath, and he was observing that in many ways they are comparable figures. Of course, Julius Eastman had the additional disadvantage at that time and in that age of being black and a black classical musician and a black classical avant-garde musician and a crazy one at that, which is why but both of these artists ended up presenting themselves to, I would say, a hostile public and dying prematurely before finally finding a larger audience today. Jerry Brandt happened to hear an about-to-be-discarded demo from Joe Bryath in the offices of CBS Records and took it upon himself to further explore who this young man was. Let's begin with his appearance on the Midnight Special that we heard just a few minutes ago. Jerry Brandt had already orchestrated a gigundo media blitz to herald Joe Bryath's solo debut recording on Elektra Records. The album had not sold well, and further media extravaganzas were proving to be financially unviable. So Brandt secured Joe Bryath a gig on the Midnight Special, which at the time was one of the most important music TV programs on the airwaves. And for most people, this was the first and only opportunity they had to hear Joe Bryath actually perform live. The first song he sang, I'm a Man, we just heard a few minutes ago. It was to be followed by a second song, Take Me, I'm Yours, a tribute in song to gay sadomasochism. It was nixed by the producer of the Midnight Special, and they substituted a less offensive lyric. But let's listen to Take Me, I'm Yours, as it was heard on Joe Bryant's eponymous debut recording. I'd do anything for you, I 
multimedia blitz that was going to propel Joe Bryath into the stratosphere of pop stardom. It did not happen that way, and the reasons it didn't happen were legion. Primary among them was the intense homophobia of the time, especially among music journalists, but also the public. The content of his music was certainly explicitly gay. Let's look back on the early childhood of that mad genius that became Joe Bryath. Bruce Wayne Campbell was born in Pennsylvania and was an early child prodigy. He grew up in a volatile family environment. His mother had an affair and left her family behind with a difficult father who then remarried. I think it's safe to say that young Bruce escaped into music. In the early 60s, inspired by Peter, Paul, and Mary, he founded a folk trio. As his interest in classical music, and the music of Prokofiev, for one, increased, his keyboard skills won him increasing admiration and attention. And upon graduating from high school, he went to Temple University for one semester, but dropped out almost immediately. He was then drafted into the U.S. Army and went AWOL fairly quickly. Most people, when they go AWOL, try to disappear into the woodwork. Not Bruce Campbell, however. He rather restyled himself Joe Bryath Salisbury from a mashup of the biblical names Job and Goliath, which gives you some idea of both his sense of grandiosity, as well as his feeling that he carried the weight of the world on his shoulders. Anyway, out in L.A., he did not exactly disappear into the woodwork, but rather he found himself, by happenstance, being cast in the lead role of Wolf in the L.A. production of Hair. 
given the strictures of the time it's never explicitly stated, but Woof is, to all intents and purposes, a gay character. And by the way, just a little bit of gay history here, we must not forget that Jerome Ragney and James Rado, the creators of the piece, were lovers at the time and were both involved in the L.A. production of Hair. In 1968, he appeared on television with the entire cast on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. This was not a solo appearance. In fact, he doesn't have any solo lines. But let's just listen to a little bit of Let the Sunshine In, in which he is prominently featured on camera, next to such figures as Jennifer Warnes, Dolores Hall, Rado and Ragney, who look significantly older than the rest of the cast, and also Teda Bracci, the woman who in the 1980s entered into a stormy marriage with Dusty Springfield. Okay, that little bit of information really blew my mind, but also there's a little bit more queer history for you. So, here's Let the Sunshine In. Let the sunshine, let the sunshine in, the sunshine in. Let the sunshine, let the sunshine in, the sunshine in. Let the sunshine, let the sunshine in, the sunshine in. Let the sunshine, let the sunshine in, the sunshine in. Joe Bryant's musical abilities, especially as a pianist, were immediately apparent to his fellow co-stars. In fact, he first got involved with the Hare tribe because he went to play an audition for a different artist and ended up getting cast himself as Wolf. It was during the L.A. run of Hare that he formed another folk trio, this with two of his fellow tribe members, Sherry Gage and Bill Strong Smith. The group was named Pigeon, and they made a recording for American Decca in 1969. Honestly, the record is all about Joe Bryath. He composed all the songs, he plays piano on most of them, he did the arrangements, etc., etc., etc. This is the song Prison Walls that Joe Bryath composed, and which was released as a single independent of the album. I know you say
he soon found himself fired from the cast. And it was apparently around this time that the MP caught up with him, and he found himself back in King of Prussia and placed in the mental unit of a military hospital, where he began to compose more of the songs that were to play a significant part in the next few years of his musical life. The song Ducky Lullaby that we just sampled about 30 seconds of was one of those songs, but there were other less peculiar ones as well. And in 2014, those were released on a limited edition CD. And we're going to hear two additional tracks from that release. First is the song So Long, Miss Jagger, which I don't even need to, I don't think, comment on. But do take note also of his pianistic ability. So many of the songs that Joe Bryant sang and recorded are really piano-centric. I think his pianistic abilities probably surpassed his vocal abilities, but his songwriting reveals prodigious talent and, honestly, also craziness, which are the two primary things that I want to emphasize about him. Another song from... So Water is ancient history now But the stones roll away And rock that jukebox hill Today closed circuit concert tours Tomorrow, yesterday 
another demo from that period is the song I Love a Good Fight, which was co-written with Steve Love. Production values are a little higher than just piano alone in this number, but it still is just a demo that was not further developed or recorded, as far as I know. That's my pretty face, you know you just can't wait Oh Lord, now I'm bored I'm bored in tears So come on and mossify me, crucify me And show me you're awake Oh Lord, now I'm bored Bored to death, I'd love to austerize you Then to drink your juice, I'd love a good fight So now we come into the Joe Bryath phenomenon. And it's also here that we first encounter the Svengali that was both Joe Bryath's chief promoter as well as his undoing. Jerry Brandt was eight years older than Joe Bryath and lived from 1938 to 2021 when he died from COVID. He was, I guess, what one would call an entrepreneur. He began working in the mailroom at the William Morris Agency and had worked his way up so that he was involved in various ways in the careers of Chubby Checker, Sonny and Cher, the Rolling Stones, Sam Cooke, and Carly Simon. In other words, he clearly had an eye for talent. And as such, in late 1972, he was considered a guy who could simply do no wrong. As I mentioned, he heard a demo of Joe Bryant's emanating from the offices of Clive Davis at Columbia Records. Davis found the recording to be, quote, mad, unstructured, and destructive to melody. But Brandt felt otherwise. He traced Joe Bryant to California and flew there, where he found him living in an empty apartment working as a hustler. The two of them began, quote, hanging out in Malibu. Now, Jerry Brandt always fashioned himself as straight, but it's pretty clear, to me at least, that something was going on between these two men. Something affectional, probably something sexual. And frankly, they also sort of played this up in press interviews. This weird sort of cocktease thing going on. Are they or aren't they? The other thing that was really weird about the interviews is that 
Often, Brandt would barely let Jobriath get a word in edgewise. And when Jobriath did say things out loud, it was things like, I'm a true fairy, as opposed to various other pretenders, bisexuals, closet cases, prevaricators, you name it. He was the real item, and he wanted people to know it. Jerry Brandt, primarily because of the success he had just had with Carly Simon, was able to get Joe Bryath, now refashioned as Joe Bryath Boone, for a record deal at Electra. There was a lot of hype surrounding all of this, and it's not clear that it really involved a $500,000 deal. In fact, a lot of these numbers being bandied about were no doubt pure hype. But nevertheless, suddenly, Joe Bryath had himself a two-album deal. The idea was that he would be sort of a homegrown version of David Bowie, whose Ziggy Stardust persona was just beginning to be felt on this side of the Atlantic. It's my opinion that Joe Bryath has not so much in common with Bowie as he does with Elton John. His songs are so much more piano-based. There's a very confessional aspect to his best work. But nevertheless, the persona that was thrust before the public was of another space oddity, with more than a hint of a Pierrot persona as well. And the backlash was immediate, strong, and virulently homophobic. The thing is that there was a huge media blitz associated with this entire launching of Joe Bryath. This was to include an extravaganza at the Paris Opera from which he would be shot from a gigantic penis dressed in a King Kong outfit and emerge like Marlene Dietrich in Blonde Venus as some kind of exotic beauty. The whole thing was planned, the sets were built, it never actually transpired. In fact, Joe Bryant's voice was never put before the public. It was merely his image over and over and over, including on the sides of more than 250 New York City buses. So people were prepared for a lot of hype, and they weren't necessarily prepared to actually listen to the music. So the record really did not do well when it was first issued, because everybody was so turned off by the constant forcing of this very, very queer persona upon their straight consciousness. That's the reason why that appearance on the Midnight Special was so important, and evidently the audience was overtly hostile on that occasion. The album itself was actually quite positively received by much of the music press of the time, including Rolling Stone and other high-powered media outlets. But as I mentioned, some of the best work on the record is the stuff that bears more resemblance to Elton John than it does to Bowie. The whole thing was somewhat overproduced, but still, without looking too hard, one can find some real musical content, and an individual voice that still has resonance today. Here's a song from the first album, the self-titled Joe Bryath, 
called Be Still. Do you have to show up on every corner? Won't the dancing begin without you? Do you have to put on your eyes for me? Be still, I love you. Did you really see the stars say? In your restless eyes I found the city lights But still, I love you There was a follow-up album as well, released in 1974, called Creatures of the Street, that included more explicitly gay lyrics, as well as a slightly more radio-friendly format. The first track on that album is called Heartbeat. Let's listen to that now. You're our voice on the street. Y'all the faces that I meet All day my life is keeping time Time with your heartbeat Time with your heartbeat Every day It's now you to run it.
Jake Shears, who referred to the next song, Space Clown, as being both poetic and embarrassing. And that is very much what you get with Jabriath. There's not much of an edit button in his work. It's very flamboyant. It's very over the top. I hear an unrestrained, almost operatic quality, the kind of musical impulses that later found expression in the work of Rufus Wainwright. You're so entertaining and amusing. God knows everybody loves a clown. Bottom whales, you can't refuse him. Oh, Piero, where do you go when you come down? A star shot across the sky and then vanished in a tear. Here's a song from the follow-up Creatures of the Street album called Wildfire in Memphis that contains very confessional and, especially for the time, shocking lyrics. I picked up in Hollywood by a band of wealthy gypsies singing peace, love, heart, and Krishna. Will you be our star today? Have you 
ever played romance in F to the accompaniment of the earth trembling neath your feet on some avenue well in New York I must mix tricks are easier more streets to walk at night I know the name of every pickup bar in town do you debut never happened all of the projected performances the world tour all of that none of it came to fruition it was suggested that jerry brandt took a lot of the money that was supposed to go towards the marketing and promotion of joe Bryath and poured it into a weird nightclub slash sex club thing that he had planned called the erotic circus that lasted exactly one night, I think. With all of this going on, an irreparable rift sprung up between Brandt and Joe Bryath. Eventually, Joe Bryath did go on tour with his band, but in much smaller venues across the United States. Finally, in July 74, he made his New York debut at The Bottom Line, where he and his band played to sold-out houses. But the voices of dissent, both from the public and from the music press and the press in general, had become much more intolerant, much more viciously homophobic. Thereafter, they embarked on a tour of the United States, which included quite a few college venues and the like. The problem was that both Elektra Records and Jerry Brandt had withdrawn their financial support of the tour. But this motley crew continued to tour, regardless, charging everything to the record label. The final show of that summer tour was at Tuscaloosa University and was an enormous success. The audience was so out of control with enthusiasm that the police and the fire department had to be called in to break it all up. But that was the end of Joe Bryath. And in the one post Joe Bryath interview that Bruce Wayne Campbell gave in 1979. He referred to Joe Bryath as having died via suicide as a result of overexposure to drugs and fame. The artist formerly known as Joe Bryath in subsequent years refashioned himself as the cabaret artist Cole Berlin, a name that clearly references both Irving Berlin and Cole Porter. He began performing in swanky New York cabarets, 
And now, with the benefit of hindsight, when we look back, we can see that there was always a kind of nostalgic, great American songbook quality to much of his work. For instance, from his first album, here is the song Movie Queen. I've always wanted a movie queen to call my very own That bright and shining star I've worshipped from afar Came down to earth to be with me tonight oh. I've always wanted a superstar to cherish as my own but so high in the sky I'd never dare to try To take the steps That I can take with you tonight With you at my side Ginger Rogers up and cried Busby Berkeley ate his heart out over you Betty Grable lost her charm And Florence Ziegfeld's follies looked like Brooklyn Zoo I've always wanted a movie queen To call my very own And here I am, so sorry of a wealthy benefactor slash John, Joe Bryath found himself living in the penthouse apartment at the Chelsea Hotel, where he had a white piano and was surrounded by many reminders of his brief stint as a would-be pop superstar. In 1977, through the intervention of Sarah Kernochen, a director, he found himself in contact with Joe Papp, who was developing a musical based on the misanthrope of Moliere. He did not end up working on that project, but instead developed a treatment of a musical called Popstar for Joe Papp. And it just so happens that there exists a series of recordings made in September 1977 for this more than semi-autobiographical musical. Here is Joe Bryath, who at this point was styling himself as Cole Berlin, in his demo for Joe Papp, doing a spoken introduction and his performance of the song Time Sat on My Face. A few years ago when I was a rock star, I could have any instrument and any player in the world I wanted. One time, just for the fun of it, I overdubbed the world's largest marimba on one of my ballads. I had this planet's greatest musicians play for me. Many times, just as a favor, Pete Frampton used to come down and play on my records. And once, John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin dropped in for a chat and ended up playing Volcanic Ash. He had brought it all the way from Mount Fuji in an earthen jar, and it made the most fascinating rhythm when you shook it. You know, one time Jimmy, Pr Jimmy Hendrix played for me, 
But he was so stoned, we later had to wipe the track. We kept his name on the album, though. It added to the general atmosphere of fame which surrounded everything I did in those days. You see, I was a meteoric pop star known as B.J. Strobe, the Elvis of punk rock. But the ironic thing is, I never wanted fame. No, just good music, really fine music, and perhaps a small coterie of tasteful, stylish friends. As B.J. Strobe, the only things I ever met were tacky groupies, glorified junkies, and tasteless promoters. But I wanted to know elegant people, perhaps to talk of fashion and art, and to tell witty anecdotes of droll occurrences, <laughs> but never, ever to discuss politics, the environment, the energy crisis, Patti Smith, or anything relevant to anything. As a matter of fact, all I ever really wanted in my life as a songwriter was total irrelevancy. Well, one time, just as a joke, I wrote and recorded a relevant song. And overnight, that joke became a monster hit of the decade, making me, B.J. Strobe, the new pop messiah. I had to sing that retarded song everywhere, and I hated it. It was a travesty of everything I stood for in music. After all, to me, a song was never anything more than another way to say, I love you. <laughs> but there I was, night after night, city after city, stadium after stadium, saying, I love you, relevantly to thousands of screaming adolescents, shooting off firecrackers, and picking at their faces in a sea of jeans. I stepped out on S&M Boulevard on the last Good Friday in history. I hope to pick up fame in a group without making any disco scenes. I heard that duck was easy to pluck for virgin talents, just like me. I was a hip culture chicken with an itching in my French blue jeans. Well, you know what that hook of fame said to me? She said, sure, I'll come home with you, as long as my friend Tom can come along too. Oh, so it brought a long time. She had hands that burned like a cigarette. Fame just powdered my nose, but turned out her friend Tom was a his cabaret performances, at which, when occasionally recognized, he staunchly refused to perform any, any of Joe Bryant's old material. He supplemented his income with hustling and was barely eking out an existence. Finally, in August 1983, he was discovered dead in his apartment at the age of only 36. His father, with a background in the military, as well as a staunch ultra-right Christian vantage point, went in and saw to it that all of his son's legacy was simply destroyed. So whatever we have that remains of Joe Bryath, once we strip away the media blitz that surrounded him, is the music that he put out there.
I have two closing numbers for you in the Joe Bryant section here. First is a song that was written to words by Richard T. Marshall for the Pigeon album in 1969. This is called House on a Hill Among Trees. And it's just the story of a lonely boy. self-titled solo debut album. Here is a song, Blow Away, which is off-color in lyric, nostalgic in tone, and operatic in scope.
They play out all the tears I'm not allowed to cry But I have to cry To stay alive To stay alive And all the pretty boys Lay in the passage Of every song that etched its way From out my bleeding heart But I have to bleed To be free To be free Blow, blow, blow away Blow, blow, blow away Blow, blow, blow away Blow, blow, blow away It's very gay To blow away Now let us turn to Jackie Shane, whom we heard at the very top of the episode. Jackie was born in Nashville on May 15, 1940. After her parents separated, she was raised by her maternal grandparents, and her grandfather was a particularly strong influence on young Jackie. Even at a very early age, she loved to play dress-up, 
and when her grandmother died in 1947, she went to live in a suburb of Cleveland with her mother, who had now remarried. Jackie was very involved in music in the church and divided her time between her mother and her aunt and other family members who still remained in Nashville. At the age of 13, she came out to her mother as a trans woman, and her mother offered her daughter her complete and heartfelt support. And it's this positive influence, I think, that allows us to trace the career of Jackie Shane, which may have had its ups and downs, but never resulted in the kind of self-destructive behaviors that we observe in Joe Bryath. She began performing locally in Nashville in her mid-teen years, and eventually became well-known as a drummer. And she had her own distinctive style, for she would play the drums standing up, which enabled her also to simply contribute the vocals while still standing at her drum kit. She made a number of records as a drummer and eventually began performing in venues such as the so-called Soul Tent and other venues on the Chitlin circuit. In 1959, she went to Canada for the first time, performing in Montreal with the guitarist Johnny Jones. It was around this time that she was kidnapped by a gangster who said that he was going to turn her into a big star, but that if she ever crossed him, he would kill her. It was only by mentioning that she was underage that she thinks that she managed to secure her escape. In 1960, she made her first records, including one called Slave for You Baby. Interestingly, it... <laughs> <laughs> it references S&M in a completely different way, in a much less explicit way, than Joe Bryant's number, Take Me, I'm Yours. Darling, do you remember the first day we met? I never thought the day would come that I'd ever regret what you did. I'm a slave for you, baby. Well, I said I'm a slave for you. Darling, don't you realize that I don't know what to do? I made a mistake, baby, one I'll always regret. You said you would forgive me, but never forget me. I'm a slave for you, baby. Don't you know I'm a slave for you? Well, now, darling, don't you realize that I don't know what to do? I dial your number, baby, and then I heard the phone. When the party answered, you said, tell the man I'm not at home. Still, I'm a slave for you, baby. Well, don't you know that I'm a slave for you? Now, darling, don't you realize that I don't know what to do? Well, now, baby, although you're still lost my name, I'm not ashamed, yeah. She never made a full studio album, but rather cut 45s, often on the tail end of other sessions, when there was time to only record one take of a given song. Even so, she had a magic way with getting to the essence of what was going on in the music. 
Most of these were covers. For instance, in 1962, here's an excerpt from her cover of the Titus Turner tune, Sticks and Stones. One, two, one, two, three, four. People talking, trying to break us up. Why can't they let us be? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but that talk don't bother me. People talking, trying to break us up when they know that I love you so. Never, never let you go. Said I know. Yes, I know. Every day, every day, just a little bit more. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. I wanna tell you about. It. I just gotta tell you about. It. Baby, baby, just what I wanna say. Jackie's biggest hit was a song called Any Other Way, originally written by William Bell, but which Jackie very much made her own. On the basis of the success of this record, she cut a second 45, which had on the A side the song In My Tenement, and on the B side, a new tune by Bobby Darren. He had been looking for just the right singer to do this song, and when he heard Jackie... He asked her if she would record it. So this is Bobby Darren's tune, Coming Down. Coming down. Coming down. Coming down. Yes, I'm coming down. I'm coming down, 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 down. Coming down with a heart Jackie hooked up with a trumpeter named Frank Motley, who was born in 1923 and was a trumpet player who had taught himself to play two different trumpets simultaneously. He must have had a very developed embouchure. The two of them began performing together. From then on, she was featured as the vocalist with his group, the Motley Crew. They were billed as Frank Motley and the Motley Crew featuring Lil Jackie Shane. Jackie always performed in a very stylized, very femininized, if you will, tuxedo, often covered with glitter, often in extravagant colors, lots of makeup, lots of lipstick, 
But it's interesting that at the time, and even in a radio documentary that the CBC produced on her in 2014, people still refer to Jackie as him. But she never thought of herself as anything other than a woman, in spite of the fact that many of the lyrics which she sings make direct reference to women. Her visits to the recording studio were relatively rare, but they include some real gems. For instance, in 1966, she made an unforgettable version of You Are My Sunshine. two sides which included her own compositions. This is the B-side of that last 45, New Way of Lovin'.
I would say that the happiest and most productive years of Jackie Shane's career were spent in Toronto. When she first visited there with Frank Motley and the Motley crew, she felt a kind of homecoming and freedom that she had not experienced elsewhere. And she rapidly became a local celebrity there. And her solo version of Any Other Way was a bestseller at many different points throughout the 1960s. Jackie may have never made a solo studio album, and yet, in the summer of 1967, at the Sapphire Tavern, the small label Caravan Records went in and recorded 12 different live shows with Jackie Shane, backed by Frank Motley and the Motley crew. These may be relatively low-fidelity recordings, but they are some of the most exciting live R&B records ever made. I'm going to end the episode with a number of excerpts from those sessions. First is her cover of the Robert Higginbotham tune, High Heel Sneakers. She would deliver these sort of secular sermons to her audience where the band would be reduced to repeating a riff over and over or simply providing a rhythmic backing to her musings. She would speak about, well, I don't even want to expostulate on what she talked about. I want to give you instead an example. She sings the Barry Gordy song, Money which was also a 45 that she had had a good deal of success with. But I want to play you the live version as it was released on Jackie Shane Live. They say those best things in life are free But you can give them to the world 
tell these people about this money thing. You know, when I'm walking down Young Street, you won't believe this, but you know some of them funny people have the nerve to point the finger at me and grin and smile and whisper. But you know that don't worry, Jackie, because I know I look good. And every Monday morning I laugh and grin on my way to the bank because I got mine. I look good, I got money, and everything else that I need. You know what my slogan is? Baby, do what you want. Just know what you're doing. As long as you don't force your will and your way on anybody else, live your life because ain't nobody sanctified and holy. You see what I mean? Oh, honey. Because, baby, when we leave here, we don't know where we're going. You know, I ain't going for all that stuff. No, uh-uh. I'm gonna live while I'm here. I'm gonna enjoy the chicken, the women, and everything else that I wanna enjoy. And that's how I live. That's why I'm so happy all the time. I'm taking care of business. You know, I don't have my woman telling me, Jackie, you can't do this. You better sit down somewhere if you want me to stay with you. You better go out and go out and go on to make the money and bring it on home so we can enjoy ourselves. You know, I don't need no woman to help me starve. I gotta have some money, you know, because I wanna look good a long time. You see, everybody's talking, but uh, I'm taking care of business. You know what? You know, it got kinda cool for me when I came up here last fall. And I made it on back. I caught me a jet and went back out to the west coast to my beach bungalow. Frank Motley was calling every other day. I was sitting out there on the beach just as the sun went down. Well, I'm no square. I got mine. You know, God bless the child that's got his own. And I got so <laughs> much of my own. You know, I'm taking care of business, Tony. Everywhere I go, you know what? This is the closest to Jesus Christ some of you will ever get. You should travel with me, baby. You think Jesus Christ had come down and walked this earth again. The multitude that follows me is so great because they know I go along handing out soul blessings, satisfying souls, but I don't satisfy nobody that's a square. You know, you got to know that I need some money and we can get along. You know, I don't want you coming to my jacket. Well, I ain't never done this. I ain't never done that. Well, if you haven't, get up and let somebody who can. Don't hinder my business. You see what I mean? Now, I know some of you gals and guys know what I'm talking about when I said, Ain't no point in us starving together. You know, I got to have a little help. You know, I'm standing up here perspiring, getting all hot, working hard, and you gonna sit out there and wear what I done made. Mm -mm. You got to help me. You got to at least kind of top what I bring in every week. And then we'll live happy. Cause you know, I like to live on the fed of the hog, honey. When I leave this time, baby, I'm going on a six month holiday. That's gonna take a whole lot of money. I don't wanna have to do nothing but have breakfast brought to me in bed by gorgeous chicken. <laughs> and if you don't, baby, I can step a little further than somebody else will. So I don't worry, I got so much to work with here. Uh, I'm a little piece of leather, baby, but well put together. 98 on the seats and 75 on the sheets. And I got bed springs on my bed singing near my God to thee. You know you got to have money to enjoy that kind of thing. During that wonderful week in July 1967 at the Sapphire, 
Jackie also recorded a song that Aretha Franklin had had a lot of success with, written by the head of Atlantic Records, Amit Ertegun. Don't play that song, or you lied. She invests it with an intensity equal with the very best blues singers, including Aretha and including Tina. Listen to me, don't you play it no more, don't play it no more, don't play the song no more, ah, no, 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 stop it baby, you said darling I love you, I remember, don't you know that you lied to me baby, darling I love you, you know that you lied, darling I love you. Jackie's cover of the D. Clark song Raindrops, again with an intensity that must have been incredible to the audience and which is still palpable to listeners more than 55 years later. Feels like a rain, hey. 
listen, come on back to me because this thing is about to get the best of me, baby. Lord help me. Lord, it's about to get the best of me, baby. Look at me. Falling over here, baby. of the episode. I have one more song to play for you from that live album and one final sermon of Jackie's to share with you. But first, I just want to tell you what happened with her. The leader of the band, Frank Motley, went sort of postal on her and started drinking excessively, behaving erratically, and she just felt that she had to get away from him. When he threatened her with a knife, she seriously considered taking her, what she called her protection, her gun, and simply shooting him. But thank goodness she thought twice about that. But her solution was simply to disappear virtually overnight from Toronto in December 1971. She returned to the U.S., to L.A., where she tended to her mother, who was beginning to be ailing. And she spent years in the shadows, caring for her mother, and happy to be out of the limelight. Eventually, she returned to the public's awareness when a retrospective album was put out, featuring most of her studio recordings and a generous selection of those live sessions that were recorded in 1967. She was wary of the attention, but consented to give a few, a few select interviews, including with the CBC and with the New York Times. The album was nominated for a Grammy for Best Historical Reissue, and her importance as an extraordinarily communicative singer, as a trans icon, as a woman of color who followed her own lights, in all of these ways, her historical importance and continuing influence as a performer of the utmost intensity, directness, and communicativeness were once again on display for a new generation to admire and enjoy. I mentioned that her biggest hit was the tune Any Other Way, and this was also the highlight of her live 1967 live recording. So I bring that to you. It's been challenging recording today because of all the background noise, and it's starting up again, so I have to stop. But I'm so glad that you joined me today, and it's ever so important that we celebrate these artists and remember them and hold them up and retain them in our memories as their influence continues to be felt today. Come again 
say that you're my friend I know why you're here She wants to know how I feel Tell her that I'm happy Be sure and tell her this Tell her that I'm gay a broken heart, but they're wrong, darling. I'm having a good time, me and my chicken. But when you see my baby, here is what you say. say these words. Love can bring happiness. And love can bring sorrow. Love can be here today. Oh, listen to me. Love can be gone tomorrow. So try to hold on to what you got. Hold on to what you got. I'm talking to you girls. If you're square, that means hold on to your man, baby. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Makes no difference what shape he's in. Makes no difference what your best friend, your mother, your father, your sister, your brother say about him. If he loves you, and you know you love him, baby. Get a good grip on him because you're gonna need him. In the midnight hour, you know. 
when you feel like you want to make whoopee or something, he's yours, you can do what you want with him. You know, because if you think somebody else don't want your man, <laughs> just kick him out into the streets, baby. And listen to this. Your best friend that was talking about your man will have him and gone before you can count one, two, three. Believe it or not. You see, I'm a witness to this. You know what my woman told me one night? She said, Jackie, if you don't stop switching around here and playing the field, <laughs> listen, and bringing that chicken home, you're gonna have to get to stepping. <laughs> I said, uh-huh. I grabbed my chicken by one hand, baby, and we've been stepping ever since that night. <laughs> you see, I couldn't let her dictate to me. I look better than she does all over. Then I know how to please a little better than she does, too. That helps. And you see, I won't have it no other way. My mother told me before I left home, she said, Jackie, don't worry about what people say about you. You look good because you take after mother. Damn daddy. Because you'll get paid for, for what daddy has to pay for. And mother didn't lie, honey. I'm getting it every day of my life, money. Diamonds on my finger, I can't get no more on there. And there's more at home that belong to me where these came from. You see, because I'm sweet. But you see, I laugh and joke and I may smoke a little, but I don't play. You look at me sometimes and you'll see I'm no toy. I like fun and games, but don't get carried away. Because if you crowd me, honey, you'll get something thrown on you that all Robinson won't be able to pray off. You know you'll be in bad shape. I live the life I love, and I love the life I live. I hope you'll do the same. You know, you're supposed to live. As long as you don't force your will and your way on others, forget them, baby. You don't need them. Because the mean things people say about you can't make you feel bad. Because Jackie can't miss a friend that I've never had. I won't have it, baby. And I sing sexy, too. That helps. No other way. No other way, baby. won't have it no other way, baby. You know, Jackie Shane would like to say thank you very kindly, ladies and gentlemen. Long Jackie would like to say really wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dear friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Kuntlach.